In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Well, how are we all going? Good? (laughs) Well, that was very unconvincing. Um, Well, we're all doing very poorly. All right. Let me, um, in a moment, pray. Let me just quickly remind you we have a task, which is to... um, include six items that we were gifted. Um, well, other people were gifted. And, um, and will be returned, despite the fears of some who were less generous on this day um, <laughs> than you might expect. Um, the items were uh, a headband uh, that belonged to uh, a newborn baby called Madeline. Um, there was a doll that belonged to Skylar, and um, it's really cute, little, little doll, um, disproportionately large head. Um, so if you identify with that, that's good. Um, there was a beautiful, delicate necklace with a cross on it as well. There was a card that was given to Sue, um, which has a picture of Santa on the front, um, photorealistic. There was, um, as I mentioned before, an unusual-looking emu, and there was a bracelet... Uh, made of silver, and it's got little dots and little bits of metal tube through it, really pretty little bracelet. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather, and as we've just sung and asked a number of questions this morning, we're asking, do we really understand who it is who was in that manger so many centuries ago? who grew to be the man who lived and behaved in such a way that it astounded people, that they'd never heard someone speak and lecture and proclaim like he did, never heard such teaching. And when they looked at what he did, they'd never seen such behaviour, so miraculous. In fact, things that only God could do, he was doing even that he could stand outside Lazarus' tomb and call a dead man back to life again. Who is he? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us an understanding this morning to the identity of who Jesus really is. As he goes from the cradle to his own death, we pray that we would understand what you would have us know about him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you just for a moment to think about um, the the most boring bird you could think of. 
um, the most unremarkable bird, if you like. I've got one in my mind that I'm thinking of right now. Uh, anyone got a bird you don't particularly think much of? Fairly boring kind of bird? That was the one that I was thinking of, the pigeon, right? The rat of the air, right? The pigeon. Is there anyone, any, anyone better, anything more boring than a pigeon? So India, oh yeah, right. Close, close runner-up, the Indian miner. That's good. The the bin chicken. <laughs> the bin chicken, right. I, I learnt last night that uh, the bin chicken is protected and it's like a $10,000 fine if you harm a bin chicken. So a bin chicken, if you don't know, is... Um, oh, hang on, no, sorry, it is an ibis. I'm thinking of the bush turkey. Um, can you turn me down? I'm feeding, feeding back. Right, so we've got the ibis. I'm going to add the bush turkey. No, no, I kind of like the bush turkey when it's in someone else's yard. Um, pigeon... The, the starling, right, okay, yeah, starling, so, excellent. Uh, one more. The dodo. the dodo. Well, really? The dodo? Well, I'd be pretty stoked and pretty astounded if I saw a dodo. That'd be pretty good, right? But I want to suggest, though, like, when you think of boring, um, un, uh, unremarkable birds, you don't think of the emu, do you? Even though it can't fly, doesn't taste, well, it tastes okay. Well, anyway, it, uh, um, <laughs> But, the, the, you know, the emu, you know, but it is astounding, isn't it? For a flightless bird, uh, in fact, it's quite intimidating, but, but not, not at all uh, unremarkable, you'd have to say. And, and what I want to say, suggest is, if you were to see one that looked like this, right? Uh, Asher, uh, as this one's named, the very fact that the emu, this emu has a name is astounding, but a rainbow fluoro, you know, very tiny, but still astounding-looking emu... Uh, you, you would be blown away, wouldn't you? You, you just think that is, that is remarkable. Um, and, of course, Daniel introduced that idea for us before, just to think about things that are remarkable and unremarkable. And I want to suggest that this little fella, Asher, he's, he's remarkable, but, but for, for more than you might imagine. Um, do, do you know that Asher, um, he actually derives his name from one of the tribes of Israel, the tribe of Asher, who's actually from, one of the, uh, who's actually from the, the, a man called Asher, And there's a really interesting quote in Genesis chapter 49, verse 20, about Asher. And it says this, that Asher's food will be rich. See, what are we thinking about today? We're thinking about plentiful amounts of food. Well, Asher, there's a prayer about Asher that's all about the the, the fare and the richness of his table. That his food would be rich and abundant, that he wouldn't go without that he'd be provided for and sustained. Because life is actually sustained by food, and so this prayer for food for Asher, it's a great blessing. It's remarkable. But, but even more remarkable than that, it says that he will provide delicacies fit for a king. What does that immediately remind you of? Delicacies that are fit for a king. Because we're thinking about Christmas, aren't we? And we might be thinking about the, the richness of the table that we'll be enjoying this afternoon and Ash's table. But, but the idea of the, the, the delicacies that are fit for a king, it reminds you, doesn't it, of the, the events that follow on from the Christmas story when gifts are brought to Jesus. Delicacies kind of fit for a king, but they're communicating something way broader than that. That in fact, um, some of them, the myrrh, for example, will reference his death. But there'll be gifts fit for a king, and in fact, a wonderful provision, but he doesn't look much like a king, does he, when you first see him, Jesus? In fact, when you read the stories that are recorded for us in the Bible about Jesus, it's surprising. You have four biographies. Uh, Three of them make mention of Jesus' birth, 
John does it kind of abstractly. If you remember that, he talks about the word becoming flesh. Matthew has a bit to say, and he'll include stuff about the wise men that come maybe some months or years later. Uh, Luke has a fair bit to say, and that's what we're going to think a bit about this morning. Mark doesn't even bother. He doesn't even talk about Jesus' birth at all. He just gets starts straight to the point that John the Baptist is proclaiming that one is coming. He skips straight ahead some 30 years. And then when you look at the column width, the amount of information that's given about Jesus, it, it, it actually, it, it's astounding how unremarkable it is. Um, so you, you read through and you're given lots and lots of information about other people, about people like Zechariah and Elizabeth, the father of John the Baptist, who's going to be born six months before, cousin to Jesus. You get lots of information about him and even his birth and the announcement in a temple and things. You get a lot of information about Mary and some about Joseph and the backstory and all of that. But when you come to actually look at the birth of Jesus, in Luke's gospel particularly, you get one verse. Chapter 2, verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son... She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. That's the whole story of the birth, like of the actual kind of event of the child being. But we know more of the thing, a bit more from Matthew, but so little information about that birth. But if you were to sit down with Annie and with James, who had a child some, like some few weeks, five, six weeks ago, they, they would have a lot more to say, I suspect, than what one verse. I've um, I got four kids. I could sit you down. I could, we could talk all day about the things that happened, you know, in the, just in the delivery suite, if you want to hear, I'll tell you. How I fell asleep and Heidi was upset about that for some reason and how it's... Anyway, I've got theories about, you know, it's much... Anyway, I won't tell you about how much harder it is for the fathers, but, but, but there's a lot to say about the birth of a child, right? But there's not much here. It, and in fact, as you read through it, it appears so unremarkable. But, but that's partly for, for a reason, in fact. It's because when you think about that baby that's born, um, you're meant to see something that makes you identify with it. Um, I hope you don't mind. Um, I think that Madeline and I have got probably similar sized heads. Um, that's not true, actually. My head's more proportionate to that other doll. <laughs> But you laugh, um, but and it, it works better for me because Madeline and I have both have the same haircut at the moment. <laughs> but I'm meant to identify with that with with the child. In fact, all of us are. Part part of the way that the story of Jesus' birth is told makes you realise that that baby is is like you. It's it, it's born and, and it's born in, in the same way that you are. Oh, of course, there's something cosmic and miraculous. We'll get to that in a moment. But, but you're meant to identify that this is a human baby that's been born and, and identify with it. And so, so here we are, identifying. But, of course, it's not just about that. I mentioned before that Annie and James's baby's name is Madeline. That name means strong tower, mighty one. And at that point, I kind of, I don't really identify with that. I'm kind of, at times, I might find myself to be strong, and, but I'm really kind of broken and flawed. And, and yet that name immediately reminds me that I might identify with the humanity of Jesus. But if I was to think about that idea of Madeline for a moment and think about what it is to be a strong and mighty tower, well, all of us actually recognise that we're broken and flawed. There's a weakness and a vulnerability in all of us. 
And the way that Luke records the birth of Jesus draws your attention to that fact. That this birth is so humble. It's so unexpectedly kind of beige in a way. Oh yes, there's the... There's the the, the, the virgin who's giving birth, there's the angels. And the, but the actual event, imagine that night. There aren't thousands of people. There's just a couple. And they can't even get a room. And so they've been sent out into a, into a stable, a barn, into some outer shed. And they're alone. And it's the first pregnancy. Imagine how terrifying that is. And it's just so unremarkable. And yet we're meant to understand that what is happening is that the king of all kings, the strong and mighty tower, is coming to this earth. There's been no one born with greater power and authority than this child that was born that first Christmas. But yet when you look into the stable, it doesn't look like that. Uh, It's astounding, isn't it? You just think about, you know, the royal births that we've witnessed in recent years. People go nuts about that stuff. Commemorative plates and whatever, all that stuff that goes on. But here, it's just a couple. And it looks so unremarkable. You look at that and you say, where is all the fanfare? Where is it all? Nowhere to be seen. And yet, You've got to stop and ask your question, well, why is that? Is it unremarkable because it's all poor planning, kind of on God's part? You know, he's so busy, he did a really great job of kind of announcing to Mary and to Joseph and to Zechariah, and then we had all the things that are taking place. But when it came to the Jesus bit, it's kind of like, well, just, Luke, give a, give a verse. Or was it more deliberate than all of that? See, it often goes that way for me. Um, poor planning. A little bit distracted, a little bit busy, and things don't get the attention that they need. But what you discover when you read through the story of Jesus, in fact, is the opposite is true. That the attention to detail in this story is actually astounding. And part of the attention to detail is just how little information there is about the actual birth. Oh yes, that's unremarkable. And you've got to think about why. But think about how much detail there is. All of the prophecies that have stacked up over centuries that God had spoken about, that he would one day send a Messiah, the king who was king of all kings will come. And it's described about how he will come and where he will come and who will come before him and all of the information. And every single one of those prophecies line up. The attention to detail is astounding. The forerunner has arrived. John the Baptist has been born and all of the detail around that is laid out for us. The the, the detail even around the idea of the census. I was thinking about this just this week. You wonder that when Mary discovers that she will bear the Messiah, how much did she know about what the Messiah would be? And did she go back and read through or did she already know some of those prophecies? And did she think, well, this is interesting, isn't it? This child's going to be born in Bethlehem, but we don't live in Bethlehem. We live in Nazareth. We're like um, 100 and something Ks away from there. Well, that might be a bit inaccurate. Child's going to be born in Nazareth. But what happens? Well, God's attention to detail. There's a pagan ruler, and we meet him in verse 1 of chapter 2, Caesar Augustus. And he sends out a decree. He says, I want to know how big my empire is. And because of that, everyone's got to go back to their hometown. And the hometown for David and Mary, sorry, for Joseph and Mary, will mean go back to the city of David, to Bethlehem. 
And you wonder as Mary makes that trip, she goes, well, here it is. This is what's going to happen. Late in her term of pregnancy, she's going to make that massive trip. And God is working all things to his purpose. It's not that he's not got his planning worked out. He's planned it down so that even the events of where this child will be born will be timed perfectly with that arrival. Now, I don't know how well some of you have done in terms of planning your pregnancies and down to the minute and the place and all those things. It's, but God does it on this occasion. It's going to happen in Bethlehem that night. He's arranged the cosmic entities to direct your attention to that very fact as well. So not just politically, not just those individuals, but then the cosmos. There's a star that's planted in the sky and it sits there in place. There's an angel choir that's rehearsed and it's ready to go. You know, it's sitting there. He's, he's got it all mapped out. He knows what he is doing. It, it's, it's not all humble and unremarkable because of poor planning. In fact, God's purposes are that he has planned it to be so unremarkable. In in fact, unremarkably remarkable. And that's God's point. That as you come to look at this story of what God has done, don't miss it. You you see, Skylar got this little toy, this little doll. And and it's beautiful. I was looking at it for ages thinking, I wonder what what I could identify and what what this would remind me. And then it it made me think if, if this little thing was just to look up and to see that there's a star or in this case, three, that's pointing, that's directing, that's identifying, which you see that, that even God in his, in his infinite capacity has the capacity to, to let the heavens declare what he's doing. But of course, people were out and about and doing their things and they, they, they missed it. They had no idea what was going on in Bethlehem that night. It, it just went by. Oh, some saw the stars, some astrologers in the east. It took them months, potentially, to get to where Jesus was, but not not everyone. And you wonder if people just went, "Uh uh-huh, weird-looking star, seen stars before. It's like when fireworks go off now, isn't it, for some of us? You're kind of lying in bed and you hear this fireworks down over the lake or whatever you might be or wherever, and you're kind of like, "Eh, well, seen them before. But here's this cosmic thing that's taking place. But, of course, if you're not looking for it and you're disinterested, you'll miss it and... And that's God's point. It's why this whole story in parts of it is so unremarkable as it's told. You'll miss it. And I wonder if that's true for some of us. It was true for Zechariah in a way in this story. Early on, he's told of what God is going to do and that he in his old age and his wife's old age and being barren will bear a child and he doubts it. He He has an angel speak out the message and he goes, maybe, maybe not. I wonder what the proof will be. And then he won't speak for nine plus months. He missed it, at least for a time. And and then he saw it with great clarity. And and I wonder if that's like it is for us sometimes. That we're so familiar with the story of Jesus, but yet we find it somewhat unremarkable compared to the other things that catch our attention. We're more gripped by other spectacular things that, that dance before our eyes and, and, and dizzy us with, with excitement to, to, to miss what it is that God has done when he stepped into this world to deal with a massive, massive problem that this world has got. And yet when God steps into this world, there's a sense in which he's disclosed it. Oh, he's revealed it? Sure. 
But you've got to have eyes to see it. It's unremarkably remarkable what he's done. It's actually similar to what Jesus does when he uses parables to teach people. He tells stories that are really familiar and people listen and go, oh, it's an interesting story about a, a lady who's sweeping a house. There's an interesting story about a net and someone going fishing. There's an interesting story about someone who's you know, plowing a field. Or whatever. Oh, interesting story. And they walk off. And, and Jesus says it's like that so that people might be ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. I speak in parables so that there has to be a commitment on those that are there wanting to see it, to understand there's an aspect in which belief is so key. And it's deliberately unremarkable. It's cloaked in a way. And, and, and so you've got to peel back and see that there's, there's truth that's embedded into all of that. It's, it's truth that's there to be seen. And it is an, an astonishing news that he has given us. It, it, it's to do with what happens when this child grows. This is the obvious link, wasn't it? That the, that the child that's born goes to a cross. It goes from a cradle to a cross. Why? Because this child comes into this world and identifies with this world. Remember? We identify with the child because here is a human who's dealing with a human problem. What's the problem? Well, the problem is is that we're not the strong towers that we think we are. We're broken and flawed and sin is the great problem. And death, the consequence of sin. And here is the child that will live the perfect life like us, tempted in every way, yet knows no sin. And this perfect, innocent child will grow to be the perfect, innocent man who goes to the cross and is executed for us. It's an astonishing sacrifice. I was trying to work in that other element, the, the bracelet. This was hard. But, but then it occurred to me that there's, um, there's another name for a bracelet. A bangle. All right, that's right. And, and when you think of bangles, what do you think of? You think of, you think of the singers and you think of that song, <laughs> Eternal Flame, don't you? <laughs> oh, I do. No, maybe not you. And, and there's an interesting line in that song, which I had to look up. <laughs> Just to remember how it finished. Um, it says, say my name. Because the sun shines through the rain. There's a sense in which you think about that idea of rain. And when the bangles sing out that line, there's something not right. But the sun shines through the rain. There's something that brings a remedy to that. A whole life so lonely. And here's the God who steps into this world and says, You are not alone. This is not a pointless existence. You are so loved by the creator of this world that I sent my one and only son. You're not alone. And you're not caught in this storm of destruction. The sun will shine. He'll rise from that cross after he dies and demonstrate he has the power over death to give life. A whole life so lonely. And then he came and he eased the pain. And that's the message of Jesus, isn't it? The message of Christmas. Unremarkable. Disinteresting. Doesn't really catch your attention. No, no. It's, 
Oh, yes, it's humble in the way that the story's told. And it's, you, you see this little one who doesn't look like a king. He doesn't look like he's got power. But identify with him because he identifies with you. And he takes your sin. And he says, dealt with once and for all when he dies. And then he says, follow me and live. And we're done. But Sue Skilton's not happy. I forgot the card, didn't I? Well, I didn't actually forget the card at all, in fact. Was it Hope? Hope, I'm sorry. Hope's sad. I didn't forget it at all. Because here's the thing. Inside this card is the message that was written. And apparently one day, Sue took Hope and perhaps the other girls out somewhere. Where'd you go, Sue? Nice. All the adventures. Merry Christmas, says Hope. All of... How old's Hope? Six. And a Happy New Year. Thank you for taking us on an amazing adventures. See, the right response to the generosity of someone who leads you through life is to say thank you. That's what hope's done. I suspect it's it's one of the most special gifts that Sue's got this year. A, A recognition for the special adventure, the journey. And and actually, one of the things that has interested me just recently, all the way through Luke's gospel, there's twin themes. There's this theme about turning. Uh, this idea of repenting, about recognizing our sin and following the and, 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 and giving it over to the one who will take it, the message of the gospel. And then it's always paired up with this idea of now following, that he shows you how to live. He takes you on that adventure. And so this morning, this Christmas day, as we gather and as we think about the unremarkable, remarkable events of that first Christmas, are you grateful? for the adventure? I want to challenge some of you because I know you're probably here just once a year. But if you are disinterested, if if this is something that passes by, can I suggest to look a little closer? It looks unremarkable, but that's the point. Enter in and what an adventure. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, We thank you that you are a God who entered into this world and into the hustle and the bustle and the busyness of those ordinary days and those ordinary people in such unremarkable times. You did something remarkable. And it has changed the world forever. Lord, would you give us eyes this morning to see it? Would you give us ears, Lord, that we might hear it But Lord, not just that we would hear, but that we would be understanding. And not that we would just see, but Lord, that we would be perceiving of these truths. That we would recognise the incredible gift that has taken us from perhaps a place of absolute loneliness and isolation from you. But you have come to ease the pain. For your son came, lived, died, rose again. He shines. And we give you great thanks for him this day. We want to thank you, Lord, that we can turn and trust. And we want to thank you for the adventure that you lead us on. And we pray, Lord, 
that you would guide us and care for us through this year ahead. We want to surrender ourselves to you. And we do it all in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.